afternoon and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to episode 19 of the Groovy Podcast. Uh, today is the 17th of September and you're listening to me, Peter Ledbrook, podcasting from London and I have a special guest with me, Dan Woods. Welcome, Dan. You can say hi. How much, Peter? Are you Hello. okay? Hello. <laughs> so, yeah, th thank you, Dan. He is uh, he's a, a hero, really. He's actually in a vehicle on the way to <laughs> Michigan. So thanks for <laughs> joining us. If he does cut out, I'll just have to fill in while he's going through tunnels, which probably aren't that common on your path. Hey? Uh, no, I, I don't think we'll pass through any tunnels. <laughs> we should <Right>. be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, in the UK, we have we have a few tunnels, especially on the train. So uh, that's the excuse people give when they they sort of switch off the mobile phone. It's, oh, going through a tunnel. Sorry, goodbye. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, Dan's uh, just finished with Spring One Two GX. Uh, the conference is almost done. I think is that correct? Yeah, it's over today. Today. Yeah, it's probably a, f uh, a talk or two maybe um, left, and then it's over. So really, I want to know what's been happening there, because I wasn't there. And I think a few listeners might not have been there. So it'd be interesting to know what was talked about, what was the big news, uh, what was specifically happening that's interesting in the Groovy and Grails communities. Uh, I heard you had an interesting chat with Graham about the future of Grails. So I'm hoping that you can dish some if not dirt, but at least some uh, idea of future developments. Uh, and of course, Rat Pack had its version one release uh, just, a few days, uh, just a few days ago. So all the Rat Pack team have been celebrating. And Dan has a book in the works. We keep joking about it on this podcast, but it has apparently gone into a uh, early access program. That's right, with four chapters already ready for you to read. Yep, that's exactly right. Sure. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think, um, I think probably the, the biggest news uh, that I would say for, for the Grooving Girls community out of Spring One was definitely uh, some of the new stuff that they're doing with uh, Grails 3. Grails uh, 3.1, uh, I think, is, is out as, as of uh, this week. Uh, Sorry if I'm getting the versions wrong. Um, it's milestone it, it, one, three point one milestone one. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. So this this uh, this was pretty exciting uh, because uh, Graham uh, got up on stage during the second night keynote and um, uh, uh, did a live uh, presentation of of you know a, a very quick uh, process of building an application. Uh, he demoed the uh, the actuator UI. Uh, which was which was pretty compelling. Um, it's very interesting stuff, and and the fact that it's all driven through Gradle is uh, is huge. You know, it it, it kind of kind of makes everything that they're doing with with Grails three, uh, you know, less less specialized like it was with uh, with Grails two, uh, and more more of a sort of ecosystem general uh, type thing. So it was very exciting to see that. Um, like you said, uh, I had the opportunity to talk with with Graham for. Uh, a couple of hours on Monday night, uh, the first night of uh, Spring One, and we were just talking about, you know, future of Grails, uh, 
what kind of stuff they're they're looking to get into, uh, the the you know the sustainability model behind it. Uh, I don't want to give away too many secrets. I think it's probably better to to wait and see. Uh, what I will say is, um, uh, Rails is very very much in a good spot, and uh, they're they're working extremely hard to make sure that uh, the problems that they're solving are uh, are ones that actually matter for uh, for building web applications for doing you know the, the kind of stuff that 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 we absolutely need need to do and so uh, specifically I think I think one one thing that I am okay to say is uh, specifically they're starting to work towards uh, better cloud integration so the the ideas that kind of support uh, the spring cloud OSS uh, stuff that's going on in, in the spring boot ecosystem uh, making some of those concepts a little bit more uh, first class from the framework's perspective. And uh, if I understood correctly, I think that all of this will be able to be accomplished with, uh, with, with web profiles, um, uh, sorry, uh, application profiles that, that Rails 3 now has. So uh, it, should be, it should be pretty exciting to see and it should be something that uh, will, will be hopefully a big game changer in the space of cloud and microservices and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's very exciting. Okay, so what is what is the Spring Cloud OSS thing about? Because uh, yes. that, that definitely got a lot of airtime from what it seemed from tweets. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Spring Cloud OSS is, is pretty freaking cool, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, it basically is a, a wrapper uh, around a lot of the Netflix open source tech. Um, so, uh, you know, all, all of this stuff that Netflix is doing, they open source. Uh, it's really great. And, uh, and, and what Spring Boot has done is it, it's made it uh, not only digestible in the context of building a Spring Boot application, but, but also extremely easy to use uh, and, and to get started with everything. A lot of it is driven by the uh, auto configuration uh, technology that Spring Boot has. So getting a, for example, getting a, uh, a, a Eureka instance, which is Netflix discovery service, uh, getting, getting integration with that is really not much more code than just than just saying at enable discovery client, which is really cool. Um, so it's basically it's basically the 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 spring approach to uh, getting the the platform, the underlying platform, which is which is what they're building with with Cloud Foundry, right? Uh, yeah. Getting the applications integrated into that ecosystem. So it's really neat. Okay. Does that mean that we're uh, are we getting something like Chaos Monkey? For, for with Spring Cloud OSS or is it uh, other services? <laughs> hey, I just love the name. I love the idea of Chaos Monkey. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's not specifically that, if I understand correctly, uh, <laughs> but it, but it is the the other parts of 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 that stuff. So you know, we we when we talk about building microservices and running in the cloud, we talk about uh, bringing in configuration from the environment. Uh, you know, making sure that your services are discoverable, making sure that they're fault tolerant, uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's bringing in things like Hystrix and Eureka and uh, Arceus, uh, which is the fast property stuff, um, and and really uh, pretty much everything Netflix OSS that they can get their hands on and make easy to use. Uh, they're doing it, and it's it's absolutely heroic efforts. And uh, I I'm. You know, I, I I'm I'm privileged to say that that I got I got to be a part of that in some small way, uh, and I think it's absolutely amazing that 
the, the amount of work that they've been able to do in the last year. It's phenomenal. Okay, cool. So this is like a, a joint, mm, joint effort, joint venture between Netflix and um, Pivotal or the spring, yeah. spring team. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, uh, I would say it's been led heavily by the Pivotal team. Uh, Dave Sire has specifically been a big part of it. Spencer Gibb has been a big part of it. Uh, Dave Sire, of course, is a is a brilliant engineer, um, and he's he's been able to take a lot of that uh, Netflix technology, which has been very specific for their use case, and uh, and generalize it uh, in a way that that can span a multitude of use cases. So uh, so the Spring Cloud OSS stuff is definitely the best approach to, to getting into that world. Okay, cool. And then we can see that coming into. Grails. So that's definitely one of the big benefits with Grails 3 uh, Picket being built on top of Spring Boot is easier integration with the, all the new cool Spring stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I mean, speaking of Grails 3, I was actually interested. I, I did my blog post on migrating the uh, Call for Papers app. And then I, I did it, I was in a class and they were interested in Grails 3 and what was the difference between Grails 2. Uh, and so I, I just, in the class, migrated the Grails 2 app to Grails 3. And uh, for a lot of stuff, it's surprisingly straightforward. So I keep telling them, there's a lot of, there's, there's fiddly stuff. You have to move things around, but nothing that's really tough. It's not mentally challenging stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. Which, which is good, which is good. And of course, my, my main issue when I did my other migration was the Flipping Spring Security plugin wasn't uh, available for Grails three at that point, so not oh. that I'm bitter or anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, was that was Bert there speaking about Spring Security at all? No, uh, I didn't. Well, I, I I don't think so. I I didn't see him if he was there, and that would be odd if I didn't see Bert. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, don't, I don't think he was there. Uh, but I do I do think if if I recall from the community Slack correctly that. Uh, Spring Security has been updated for Grails 3, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, a week after I'd done the upgrade, it, it came, <laughs> the milestone release came out. So, <laughs> you know how these things go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was like, hey, great, thanks for the work. Shame it didn't come a little bit earlier. But that yeah. was, to my mind, that was uh, highlighted what Grails can bring to the table versus... Uh, Spring Boot, but although Spring Boot has its conventions and default settings and stuff, it doesn't go that far if you look at things like security and I suspect outside of the core as well. They're, they're probably still happy to s work with the Java Mail API, which I detest. With a <laughs> Yeah, so that, that's a really great point that, that you bring up there, Peter. Um, I, I think I think that it's really not articulated enough uh, in in this kind of world. I you know I I've talked to a lot of people at these conferences and and uh, people talking about moving from Grails to to Spring Boot uh, and and basically asking the question like now that Spring Boot is here why do I need Grails and uh, it's not articulated enough that that what Grails is doing is is putting this this entire layer of convention and uh, and structure. On top of on top of Spring Boot, which is which is really uh, you know otherwise you're, you're you're kind of there are patterns for doing things and there are ways to accomplish it, but but in general you're kind of on your own, right? It, it in in a lot of ways it takes a somewhat unopinionated approach, 
And what Grails 3 gives you is all of the ecosystem of Spring Boot and all of its auto configuration and all of its power and all of its rapid productivity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, but then it also decorates this, this structure on top of it uh, that, makes, that makes building applications uh, much easier in, in that kind of world. So I think that for anybody who's, who's kind of looking to get, you know, get into the Spring Boot ecosystem and they want to they leverage all that kind of stuff, and and uh, and they they maybe have the wrong idea about what Grails is these days. Uh, check it out. I mean, that's the best that I can say because Grails three is super compelling. It's a it's a really great uh, accomplishment that they've been able to to uh, evolve it to the point that it is today. Yeah, it feels like uh, Grails three is a complete refresh, and I am so so happy it uses Gradle now. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of relief amongst the Grails team because I think none of us really liked or wanted to maintain a build system. Yeah. It was just, uh, I, I, I remind people that we, were, we looked at Gradle back when Grails 1.1 was coming out and we were like, can we move to Gradle to do the build system? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, leave, leave, leave those problems for the people who are really good at solving those problems, like Luke Daly, right? He wants to solve build problems. Let him do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, those guys know exactly what they're doing. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great stuff. Okay, so, uh, right, that's Grails 3, Spring Cloud, OSS. Was there anything else that caught your eye? Uh, you know... I, I think it's it's probably it's probably worth saying uh, a few words on on Cloud Foundry, um, but I, I do it cautiously because I don't want to seem like uh, I, I don't want it to appear as though I'm I'm evangelizing any of their stuff. God knows they have enough evangelists, uh, but but I will just say a few words on on Cloud Foundry. If if you're like me, uh, you checked out Cloud Foundry maybe a couple of years ago and then saw the state that it was in thought this might not be for me and then you kind of walked away from it <laughs> uh, today what I can say is that uh, cloud foundry has made really really vast improvements in in uh, in their infrastructure and and in the product offering that they have uh, it's really compelling they have auto scaling they have uh, fault tolerant infrastructure they have uh, uh, they have infrastructure as code they have a full continuous delivery uh, system uh, the, the whole pipeline is there uh, it's really it's really neat to see it today uh, versus where it was a couple of years ago. It's really come a long way, and um, you know they're 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 going out of their way to to uh, to support the of course the Spring Cloud integration, Spring Boot integration. Um, they have uh, they have really great support for uh, for working with uh, 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 Grails, for example. Uh, so I think you know if if you're getting back into it and you're thinking about building your own uh, platform as a service. It might just be worth checking out Cloud Foundry and seeing how it fits. That's that's all I'll say on it. I'm not evangelizing it. All I want to say, <laughs> all I want to say is that I looked at it. It looks cool. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. It, there's some irony. You're talking to an ex Cloud Foundry evangelist. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I, and I knew it was changing a lot. They basically rebuilt the whole thing. Yeah, and uh, and you know what? Uh, on on another note. Um, the Cloud Foundry guys have uh, the Lattice project, Lattice.cf. Uh, Lattice is super compelling uh, technology because basically what it's doing is it's making Docker productionized. 
uh, and they're they're kind of operationalizing containers in a different way. Uh, I've I've played around a little bit with Lattice. Lattice is uh, how can I say this? Uh, so they're not selling Lattice, so I don't I don't think that I run the risk of of uh, sounding like a like I'm working for Pivotal, which I definitely do not. Um, but Lattice is probably the future of uh, computing technology. I'll say that. Okay, so I this is mainly uh, like a, a deployment technology. No, no, no. It's so oh. much more. Uh, oh. It's it's like a mini inf uh, platform as a service. It runs uh, Docker containers, um, but it also provides a scheduler uh, for for being able to, to to be fault tolerant, knowing when resources need to move between uh, physical hosts. Um, it, it it just provides a lot of stuff. Self healing capabilities. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole works, basically everything that you would need to build a, a microservice-like infrastructure. Uh, but isn't, and it, isn't that, sorry to interrupt, isn't that what Cloud Foundry is already providing? You got it. Irrespective, exactly. irrespective of, so it's just like, uh, but we also sport Docker. Uh, it, yeah, it's kind of like that, but it's it's much more contained. Uh, and it, it kind of operates on, on the idea that you're going to, you know, that, that you're going to run a job and it's going to supervise that job and make sure that that, that job is going to work. Now, it's it's very much like um, like the kind of work being done with Mesos and Marathon. Uh, it's just a little bit different uh, in that it, it kind of understands that uh, that jobs, air quotes, jobs are, are actually applications that are running. Right. And they're probably going to be long lived. Uh, so that's that's kind of a neat thing to see. Okay. And it's, it's open source. It's free. That's the best part. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, do you think Docker is going to survive? There seems to be a bit of hate towards Docker. I don't know how much of that is valid, whether sysadmins are striking back because <laughs> they don't like the, the feature set or... Yeah, yeah. Docker is definitely going to win out. Um, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, it can be thought of as, you know, the default spec uh, for, for containers. Nowadays, the... The, the race is going to be for for some company to provide a solution that productionizes and operationalizes uh, Docker containers, right? So it's not a matter of, is Docker going to be the technology of choice? That's done. It, it already is. Now we're at the point where, okay, Docker is the technology of choice, but how the hell do I use this in production? And uh, and a lot of there are a lot of companies out there that are trying to solve this problem. Uh, Cloud Foundry is one of them. Uh, Lattice, of course, is is trying to do that with with uh, with their stuff. Uh, there's another one, um, Morpheus, which I think is pretty compelling. GoMorpheus.com. Uh, it's a pretty compelling platform as a service. Uh, many many people in the community uh, know uh, one of the core developers on on that project, uh, David Estes. Um, he's shared uh, a lot of uh, what Morpheus is doing and, and the problem space that they're they're trying to trying to solve, and they're dead on. Um, so I think. I think the question will will not be, is it going to be Docker? The question will be now, who do I, who is going to be the provider that I use that makes Docker a consumable thing for me, right? Okay, got you. And and for reference, this is uh, David of Asset Pipeline fame. You got it. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, because I, I don't think I'd ever asked him uh, what he was working on. So. The cloud kind of brings me to another question that I have at the moment, which is, I mean, there's a, there's kind of a competition in some ways between native platforms. The, you've got 
you've got the Node.js stuff, um, but you've also now got Go, which is becoming more popular. There are other native uh, language-based systems. And you've got the JVM on the other side. And cloud feels like it's uh, making resource and resource utilization a lot more important. It's no longer a case of just having big servers and throwing an app server on there uh, or right. clustering across servers. Uh, you're being charged often by how much memory uh, you're using. So um, do you feel that that is a disadvantage of the JVM-based systems? Or do you think it's going to be a hindrance for those systems that um, are more memory intensive than uh, others, especially like like Go apparently really doesn't take much memory if you've got uh, a slimline map. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I, you know, yes and no. I, I think uh, with with the improvements that are that continue to come to the JVM in, in Java 8 and Java 9, uh, so so definitely in the future, uh, this this idea that the JVM is a very heavyweight thing, well, eventually that, that won't be true, right? Because it'll be, it, it will be able to be lightweight. Uh, I, I think that's what a jigsaw is going to be all about in Java 9. Um, even today, uh, Rat Pack applications, for example, can run on a, on a very low memory footprint uh, and, uh, you know, have, have all of the, have even better performance than you could, than you could possibly get out of, uh, out of native uh, technologies that are out there. Short of, of course, short of building your own thing in C that uses non-blocking networking and 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 reinventing all the wheels that are there. Okay, I'm afraid you are at this point breaking up. Uh, so I don't know if you're running out of range of your um, mobile antenna. So uh, we'll give you a little moment. Oh, sorry. Right. Uh, no, just give it a, a minute and see whether it settles down. Um, but anyway, this is a good time to uh, pause. I think we're going to, since you've introduced Rat Pack, I think we'll just talk about that a little bit um, since it did come to its 1.0 release. So I, I can kind of tell that the Gradle project influences the way that Luke does things. So um, <laughs> the... Yeah, it's like from the regular releases. You said that you, I, I read your blog post. Um, so Dan, Dan did a, a blog post about the the release of Rat Pack One Zero. You are the nominated spokesman, are you, for the team? Uh, okay, we're complete, almost completely lost you now. Uh, do you want to see if you can reconnect? And I'll talk about that. So, um, yeah, Red Pack 1.0 came out. It's got kind of regular releases, apparently every month. Um, but the other sort of Gradle-like aspect to its uh, um, publishing mechanism, if you like, the way that it's released and uh, <clears throat> what it means to be 1.0 is really about API stability and backwards compatibility. And that's something that's the way that Gradle releases are largely done. So uh, if you are within a major version, such as Gradle 2, then there are stronger guarantees of backwards compatibility between versions. And it looks like that's the approach being taken for Rat Pack 1. So you may see newer, newer features uh, coming in, 
uh, in the one point X line, but uh, you won't see breaking changes until there's a switch to two. Okay, so hopefully we can get Dan back yep. to talk about that. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, you, you nailed it. You, you hit it right on the head. The, the big the big point of uh, the zero point nine dot x line was uh, was that we would figure out, you know, what are all of the APIs that we need, and then uh, once once we had it to a point that we were very comfortable with it, we knew of people using it in production, uh, and and uh, uh, we had a lot of really good use cases for it. Uh, we would stabilize those APIs, get the implementations the way that we wanted them, and then uh, and then make sure that we don't break it anymore, right? Yeah. So in in the one in the one dot x version line, uh, you're you, exactly what you said. You're going to see just stop. You're going to see um, you're going to see maybe new features added, maybe new uh, maybe new APIs that crop up, but the existing ones that are there. Uh, aren't going to break anymore, and I think uh, you know we've we've had a we've had a heroic a heroic group of uh, individuals who have adopted Rat Pack uh, in the 0 0.9 line, and uh, and they understand that uh, <laughs> the monthly breaking changes have been a little bit of a nightmare. So we won't see that anymore with 1.0. So in practice, what 1.0 means is that you can safely adopt it. We're not going to change things out from underneath you, and also at the same time, it's production ready, right? That's the important part to the whole thing. Right. And now you, of course, uh, learn what it's like to write a, a book to something that changes and breaks okay. <laughs> while you're writing. At least, at least it's uh, going to stabilize on 1.0 for you. So you, you, you should be able to get <laughs> that book out quicker now. Do you have a target yeah. date in mind? <laughs> yeah, so we can hold, it to, hold you to it and make fun of you when you miss it? <laughs> Uh, it's a great question. Uh, right, right now, from the editor's perspective, which is O'Reilly, uh, sorry, from the publisher's perspective, we're slated for uh, a February release, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm targeting much sooner than that. That's the best I can say. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, best of luck with that. Um, I mean, if you, if you don't hit the deadline, you would not be the first writer to miss a deadline. In fact, you would probably be the first writer to hit a deadline if you meant, or you know, <laughs> get there early. So uh, I, look forward to, I look forward to that. Um, Ken, uh, my co-caster, who's unfortunately not with us today, but uh, he said very good so far. Um, in some uh, a must read if you're going to use Rat Pack, I think was I think I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said in his tweet. So, uh, good job there. Um, I, I definitely need to get a hold of it, but because I'm I'm interested in what Rat Pack does, I have a kind of idea of how it works, but I don't I haven't really grasped the the core kind of use case for it, how to integrate it with other systems. You know, the nice thing about Grails, for example, is you just get everything out of the box for your database-driven web application. Uh, as you mentioned in your blog post, Ratpack is very unopinionated. It's also very focused. I do like that. I, I, I like the Unix philosophy of focusing on one thing and doing it really well. Mm -hmm. um, but it does mean that <clears throat> it's kind of, you can use it for anything, but 
you know, what do you feel is its sweet spot? It's kind of big selling points. Why should people be like even thinking about it? What sort of projects should people be looking at it for? Yeah. So exactly, exactly to your point there. Um, this is what I can say. One, one of the things that Luke has, has been Luke, Luke daily, uh, He's of course the 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 lead developer on Ratpack. He's the project lead. He's the mastermind behind it. Uh, one of the things that he's kind of set out to do is be unopinionated, but in the cases where you need to do something, make it as easy as possible. So kind of like what you're talking about with building uh, data driven application, which is actually funny. I have an, an entire chapter on this in the book. Um, building data driven applications. Uh, it shouldn't be more than a, a one-liner, basically, to get your database connection up and running. And if you're using Groovy, uh, it, the the semantics for for writing all of this out in your application become even easier than than uh, than than it needs to be. Uh, so uh, the the core use case I would say is anybody looking to run in the cloud, right? So so Ratpack focuses on uh, performance and efficiency. So we we utilize the res the system resources much more effectively than 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 the uh, than a servlet container could. So we don't do a thread per request. It's all non-blocking. It's asynchronous. Um, but unlike other uh, asynchronous uh, web frameworks that are out there, uh, Ratpack actually focuses on trying to make asynchronicity an easy and consumable thing, right? As easy and as consumable as possible. But also, so a big problem with asynchronous programming, I think that you know this, Peter, is that asynchronicity introduces a lot of non-determinism because there's a temporal disconnect between invoking an asynchronous call and uh, and receiving the data back as part of the callback mechanism, right? So yeah. what, Rat, what Ratpack does is is it takes all of the asynchronous parts and, and it builds them into something that can be thought of uh, in the same terms as a continuation. And, and it takes all of the parts of the asynchronicity and it breaks them out into their own delimited frames. Uh, and what it does is it serializes those segments so that you get guaranteed and deterministic execution order. So with Ratpack, building asynchronous, building asynchronous uh, APIs and working with asynchronous APIs doesn't introduce that level of non-determinism that you get with other systems. So it's, it's very compelling in that respect. Um, but also, so what, is it, what does all that mean? At the end of the day, what that means is that you get a bigger bang for your buck out of a single application. So I ran, I ran tests against 0.913 which was one of our biggest changes to the framework. Uh, I ran tests in the cloud. I ran on a C4 8x large, which has uh, 36 cores on it, 36 CPU cores. And I just wanted to push it. I wanted to see how, how much we could get out of it. And on a single instance of Ratpack running in that environment, uh, the performance tests are, uh, are, are on my slide deck from, from my recent uh, uh, presentation at, at 2GX. Uh, but from a single instance, we were able to get as high as 989,000 requests per second. Uh, now that's just measuring framework overhead, right? So it's not right. it's not a, it's not a production uh, level application. But at the same time, that's pretty that's pretty freaking awesome. A single instance being able to to satisfy almost a million uh, requests per second, that's amazing. That's huge. So when you're not running just performance tests like that, when you're running a real production application. You want to get the most bang for your buck out of out of your cloud cloud platform, right? So with Ratpack, uh, what what you're going to be able to do is use uh, is use smaller instances and use fewer of them to to achieve the same kind of scale that you would expect to get out of many more. Uh, so in that respect, uh, if if you like money, 
like I do, build Rat Pack. <laughs> and it uh, there is there is integration with Spring now, is there? You got it. Yep. So we okay, have full, so... in, full integration with Spring Boot. So you right. get you can you can have that entire ecosystem uh, at at your disposal, which is amazing. But uh, as as I think, like um, Tim Fox mentioned, the most of the Spring APIs are currently blocking, aren't they? They're like yeah. thread pool based and all that stuff. So yeah, exactly. Uh, so in in asynchronous frameworks, um, so you brought up Tim. Tim Fox, let's let's talk about Vertex. So in, in asynchronous frameworks like Vertex, blocking uh, APIs, that's a huge problem because you can't block on on the on the request taking thread, right? Otherwise your throughput suffers. Uh, in Ratpack, you don't have that problem because what Ratpack provides is the ability to make any API asynchronous. Uh, and we can do that because uh, Ratpack promises through its execution model are able to be intelligently uh, scheduled either to a blocking thread pool or to the computation thread pool, so you can very safely use the the Spring Spring Cloud OSS integration, uh, really any of the the Spring Boot stuff within your within your Ratpack apps. It's first class supported. Okay, cool. And this is yeah, this is particularly important for like the database access and the like because you're not probably not going to see non-blocking uh, drivers for a while. Are there non-blocking drivers in the Java space? I don't know. There, there are a few, uh, but you're right; it's very limited. And 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 if you want to use anything that's JDBC based uh, in an asynchronous web framework like Vertex, uh, you're gonna you're gonna run into trouble, right? Okay. So so Ratpack, you know, with with the uh, with its ability to schedule to a blocking thread pool, makes it so that you can use those APIs. So it sounds particularly good in just like making non-blocking and asynchronous systems manageable or more manageable. But it's it's yep. not so it's not it's not designed to be reactive, but it feels like reactive and reactive streams are a good match to the Rat Pack model. Would that be it, correct? Or yeah, it, it, actually, it is designed to be reactive. It is designed uh, to be reactive. So yeah. I mean, that's effectively an architectural style. You are so if you're going to commit to Rat Pack, you're effectively committing to uh, a reactive style of architecture. Yeah, you you kind of have to in in an asynchronous world. But uh, what what we're trying to do with with the APIs is make it so that uh, so that you kind of don't have to think about that kind of stuff. You can you you have you have the capability there for when you need it, right? But but in general, uh, we want to make that as easy as possible for people. Um, in in that same uh, train of thought, though, uh, it's it's probably worth noting that we have first class integration with RX Java. Uh, so, in other words, uh, you can use observables inside of your application, and those uh, the 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 stream that you build with your observable flow can be uh, safe is is able to be safely mapped into uh, Ratpack's execution model. Uh, we also have uh, some implementations of reactive streams uh, that you can use for for whatever you want to do. So it's really cool. Okay, I'm guessing you you don't. You don't really—it's not really geared towards the traditional web app style. Um, I guess you can. You, is it more focused on either the modern, where uh, rich UI, where you've got most of the work being done in the browser in, in terms of UI, and you're just uh, sending the asynchronous, the AJAX calls back and forth, and doing JSON plus microservices? Those are the two main. 
That's uh, th those are definitely the good use cases that we've seen uh, so far. But it's not to say that we don't support uh, regular, uh, you know, templating and and serving of static assets. And in fact, with uh, with the uh, asset pipeline stuff uh, now being moved out into a Gradle plugin, uh, we you know we get all the benefits of of that as well in our eco and in, in in our ecosystem. So you can you can safely integrate the asset pipeline within a within a rat pack application and it'll all just work. Okay, cool. So I, I it definitely feels like the book is essential for rat pack for it to gain traction. <laughs> uh, and I think it's essential for sort of more content generation around rat pack. It's mostly from my perspective, it's mostly been an engineering effort, which means that it's very good solid technology and it just needs to be made more approachable, I feel. That's my that's my personal perspective on it. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I think you're right. You counter that. Yeah, okay. and and you know, honestly, the the more people that we get to try it, the more people we get to use it, the the better it becomes. You know, so I would I would say to anybody to anybody listening or or is out there, uh, if you're gonna build if you're gonna build a a, a groovy or a Java based uh, application, just just give it a spin, see how it fits for you. Yeah, I know that. Mac, um, W. MacGyver on Twitter, he, he's, uh, he sounded very um, interested in it. Well, he, he, he sounded as if it was uh, very good technology for his sort of requirements. I, I don't know whether he'll eventually use it or not, but you know, that, that scalability, he had tested that scalability. Uh, yeah. being able to handle that number of requests. And he'd got, I think he probably came up with similar results to you. So um, yeah, it's interesting on that side of things. One other thing I wanted to talk about. So I saw the slides from one of the keynotes. Uh, it sounded like there were several keynotes and a lot of live demos. Graham had something about Grails and async slash Netty as one of the profiles. Now, uh, I've I already mentioned that uh, like with something like Ratpack, it, you if you go reactive, that's effectively an architectural style choice and affects everything you do, and it's a bit hard to mix it with the old stuff that you would be doing. Uh, do you think it's viable for uh, or yeah? Do you think it's viable for Rails to uh, sit on top of uh, an async platform like Netty? Or I don't know whether there's thoughts of trying to. Um, incorporate Grails systems into Ratpack. So I don't know what the plans are at all, but I was interested by seeing that slide. And I'm I'm dubious myself. So, I, but I, I'm open to arguments to to say that actually it will work. Yeah, sure. Uh, great, great question. Um, so the plan is definitely to uh, put Grails uh, in some form on top of Ratpack. So Ratpack will just be another one of the application profiles that you can choose. Uh, and that'll be their asynchronous, non-blocking, netty, et cetera, layer. Um, so the plan is definitely to use Ratpack to do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Grails, the, Grails 3 is such a big change that, that I think um, is very transparent to a lot of people uh, in, in its actual function. But what they've done with Grails 3 and the internal architecture of Grails is they've decoupled it from the servlet API. So integrating the servlet API into Grails is, is just an implementation detail. So that opens the door to be able to say, uh, we're going to put this same kind of MVC uh, and convention over configuration technology onto something that is not servlet based, right? 
so that's that's kind of what the future future is there and 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 talking with Graham about that uh his his response to me was uh I'm waiting on the pull request from you <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll see if we ever get to nice it. one nice one okay i mean so my my doubt really comes from the fact that uh you have the mvc thread based system compared to a reactive system like a lot of stuff in the Grails ecosystem makes assumptions about server containers. It also makes assumptions about Spring. Um, but I, I did hear on the grapevine that uh, Spring APIs are going to become more reactive friendly or reactive in themselves. I don't know whether they're planning to have side-by-side -side APIs, but I, I'm just not sure about whether you can really have like a single API across two such different platforms, technologies as that's right. Yeah. Based and reactive. Yeah. So, so in Grails two, um, the Grails team introduced the, uh, the concept of a promise. Um, and, uh, and that, <clears throat> that kind of opens the door using promises and using uh, reactive technology like RX Java, for example, kind of opens the door for you to be like uh, the implementation behind this is going to be uh, blocking uh, but but the interface into this is, is going to be through either observables or promises or whatever, uh, and that that is the the mechanism that allows you to kind of change that out behind the scenes, right? So using Grails promises, for example, uh, it can still be a synchronous and and blocking process uh, today. But then when we want to get into the async side of things, we can kind of uh, trade that out for for an asynchronous or non-blocking uh, approach to things. Now. Um, with respect to Spring Framework 5 uh, going toward a reactive, asynchronous approach to doing things, um, they have an opportunity to do something good, really good here. And I hope that they don't, uh, I hope that they don't take for granted the fact that they have people like uh, Stefan who are working there today and has done a ton of work with uh, uh, Project Reactor uh, and really deeply understands um, uh, asynchronous processing and stuff like that. They've they've a real real good chance to to do this right and to bring it to the mainstream. Uh, I hope they do it right. <laughs> okay, cool. So that, that's what that's what's coming with Spring Five. That's their plan. Yeah, Spring Five. And, okay. And, and Spring Five will be Q4 next year. Uh, okay. Are you committing to that for them? <laughs> no. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Jurgen's words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not bring up uh, past performance on hitting <laughs> hitting scheduled dates for spring. Um, well, but, well, okay, it, that's it, that's fascinating. I say so that's another big piece of news from Spring One Two GX from my perspective. So I wasn't. I'd kind of heard from other channels. I didn't realize that it effectively been announced with Spring Five. So that's really interesting stuff. So yeah. Um, I hope they do a good job there. I'm interested just to see how they plan to do it, whether they keep side-by-side -side APIs. What kind of impact do you feel this is going to have on the Grails plugin ecosystem? Do you think there are people going to have to develop reactive-friendly plugins, or are many of them just going to fit in without any problems? Um, I'm also... Whoa, okay, that Sorry. was some traffic. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Um, so that, that, that's one part of the question. And I suddenly thought of, uh, I think there's now a, a sort of formal event model within Grails, but I haven't 
read much about it. It's not really been um, pushed yeah, to, to um, consumers, users. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great, great questions. I, I, I think I'll start with the first one um, about uh, reactive plugins, etc. Um, the the answer in short, I think, is yes. Uh, the people will need to start uh, de developing their plugins in a way that will be asynchronous, non-blocking. Uh, we'll will will make use of fixtures like Reactive Streams or RX Java um, to to be able to go off and do all of this kind of stuff. I I on the other hand, I think that Grails is in a really great position um, because they're already doing. And, and this is not a criticism, but, but because there's so much magic that, that already goes on in Grails to make, to make this stuff uh, much easier to use and, and to work with, I think that they have a great opportunity here to um, leverage the fact that they're building on Groovy and that they have uh, metaprogramming capabilities to understand uh, when something is blocking and, and when it's non-blocking and to split things up in a way so that uh, when you're using blocking APIs, those APIs will will be scheduled to the right thread pool. When you're using computation APIs, they can they can stay on the request taking thread pool, um, which would build th this would bring a whole another level of performance to to uh, to to Grails and uh, and to do it in a way that would be uh, intelligent like that would make it something that would be very very consumable. So for the people who who care about uh, the fact that they're working with an observable or or they're working with a promise type. Um, then, then they they have the ability to explicitly do that. And for the people who just want to write applications and don't don't really care about any of that kind of stuff, Grails will will you know make sure that that everything is working behind the scenes for them. I'd love to see that kind of um, that kind of change in in the infrastructure. That would be huge. Mm, yeah, I think making you know uh, positioning Grails is something that makes the cutting edge technologies a lot more approachable for. Normal developers. I, I rapidly feel I'm, I'm falling into the category of normal developer. I can't keep up with all this stuff. I, you know, <laughs> I, I just want my app to work. God damn it! <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what? I think there are a lot of developers out there um, like that who, who really actually just want to get things done. And this, all the cutting edge stuff, is interesting, but it's really time consuming. So anything that can make that more approachable i think we'll have a uh, very welcome audience yeah sure definitely so uh, do you know anything about the grails internal event model whether it's a, a formal thing that um it's a effectively an api that plugins can hook into or whether uh, it's I, I i don't uh, the yeah. only thing i the only thing i know is probably uh, what you remember which is uh, it was very stringly typed before and there were plans to move it to something that was more formalized, right? Yeah, so that's why I, I was uh, expecting a little bit more information about that in like the um, docu the Grails three release notes documentation and that like um, something because I I would love to see really strong plugin APIs. So plugin authors have uh, for for doing a lot of stuff that they do. There is a known way to do it. The, from the two 1.x and 2.x days, uh, a lot of stuff was hacked around. The the APIs weren't that fixed or documented. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that made uh, plugin authors' lives a little bit uh, hairy, if you like. It's um, 
Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, you know we we see a well documented strong API for plugins. It may already be there, and it just needs to be um, documented more clearly. Or I just need to read the documentation properly, which could also be the case. Well, I think I think if you figure it out, it's it's a uh, it's good material for a long form blog post, probably. Oh, don't you try and get me to do blog posts. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, the first person who mentions a blog post is the one who has to write it. How about that? Oh, no. Oh, no. What have I okay, done? So, I, have an, I have enough writing to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's something I may do, um, but I, I have I have a exploring Rat Pack blog post that I feel I want to do at some point. I need to get around to doing that. Very cool. Um, I need to do... Uh, I. So I said to people that I would do something on BoxFuse as well, which I like as a deployment technology. Um, so I think it's a good time to wrap up. We've been going good three quarters of an hour. So thank you very much, Dan. Do you have any shout outs that you'd like to voice? Um, the, the, not in particular. The, the one thing I would like to say is for, um, for anybody viewing uh, this, um, if you're interested in Rat Pack, uh, we are a very welcoming and, and uh, helpful community. Uh, if you go to ratpack.io at the bottom of the page there, there's a link to join our community Slack. Uh, and through the community Slack, you can you know, just interface with everybody who's, who's, in the, who's in the ecosystem and who's doing stuff. Um, chat with us, ask questions, get help, whatever you need. Um, so our, our Slack channel is now, uh, I, I believe today I looked, we were just over a hundred. Um, so the more, the merrier, please come on in. Cool. Is that, is that registered users or concurrent users? Uh, registered, I guess would be the answer to that. So you see, okay. you know, you, you, yeah, you sign up once and then yep. you can come and go as you, as you please. Cool. I shall try to remember to add a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, and I'll probably mention the Grails one. The Grails one has uh, a fair few people registered yeah. for it. And Slack's kind of explo exploded. It's like yeah. Slack these days. Exactly. Cool. So once again, thanks very much for taking time out from your car trip. <laughs> and uh, it was great talking. Uh, I learned a lot. I hope our listeners learned a lot about cloud, async, non-blocking, and specifically Ratpack. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in Spring, Rat Pack, and Grails around the whole non-blocking stuff. So yeah. thank you very much, and we will catch you next time. So it's goodbye from me, and goodbye from... That's your cue. Oh, goodbye from Dan. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. Thanks a lot, Peter. Bye. <laughs>